Everybody and welcome to the 259th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's simic to our stomachs of giant bands and trickster specs. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, busy week in MTG Finance. Busy, busy, busy. What do we have on the agenda? Quite, quite, a, quite a lot of news going on. Would be considerably bigger news if anyone was playing any constructed formats in real life. Um, but exciting news all around regardless. This week for our Metagame Week in Review, uh, we're not going to talk about any events. Because as of like this morning, today, yesterday, very soon, effective date yesterday, uh, the... There were like 40 cards banned or some nonsense. So we have no format to review with you, but we will talk about all those bands um, and give you whatever insight we can on it. Segment two, uh, back to the familiar with our top paper movers and then the top MTGO movers. Uh, our segment three, our paper cards to watch, some stuff James and I are keeping an eye on for the future. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, we have Strixhaven and Innistrad leaks. So we will poke our heads in there, and uh, if you're really worried about being spoiled on those, make sure you bow out before that, and I guarantee you I will also be complaining about Harry Potter, so if you don't want to listen to that either, <laughs> Dark Goddess Season 4, se- Segment 4. But uh, Segment 1, our MTGO bannings in review, uh, we got a lot here. You get, I'm not going to read you the entire list, I feel like that's a lot of card names that we don't need to hear about but well, well we'll go we'll go through it like format by format 16 bands as of february 15 2021 in historic which of course is a arena only format omnath locus of creation and uro titan of nature's wrath are both banned which basically demolishes uh the decks that were built around the combination of those two particularly broken creatures and uro also caught a ban over in pioneer and caught a ban in Modern. Managed to survive in Legacy and EDH, which is now presumably the uh, the remaining homes for that card, although uh, Earl wasn't necessarily big time in, in Legacy, uh, at least not without Oko Thief of Crowns, which was also banned in Legacy, alongside Dreadhorde Arcanist and Arkham's Astrolab. I'm willing to bet that on your bingo card for cards that will get banned in Legacy in 2021, you did not have Dreadhorde Arcanist. Yeah, I don't... Uh, that was the one that really stood out to me as giving me a double take. 
I have not looked at a legacy list in a little while. What are they doing with the Dreadhorde Arcanist that that got banned? Like, what was so bad? They're bringing back Ponders and Lightning Bolts to recast them multiple times. That's bannable? Apparently. Now that's wild. It, this is. I knew we were going to have this conversation because I think that this is a prime example of a situation where if you're not playing the format daily, and neither of us are, I think the last time I played Legacy actively was five years ago. The so I only tangentially pay attention to what's going on in Legacy. A, it doesn't really matter from a specs perspective for the most part these days. B, Wizards clearly signaled a couple years back that it's not going to be a major part of competitive Magic on the go forward, and. C is just not the kind of format I want to be playing. But Dreadhorde Arcanist, let's review. This is more of the Spark, one of many busted cards in that set. One and a red for a 1-3 zombie wizard creature. Trample, just a very incidental text for the most part. Whenever Dreadhorde Arcanist attacks, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost less than or equal to Dreadhorde, Dreadhorde Arcanist power from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. So, it basically snapcasters a spell, but the spell can't cost more than his power, and his power is one. So in a lot of formats, if you want to be casting Abrupt Decays or whatever, then... This is somewhat less exciting. In something like EDH, where you, your deck might not have very many uh, one casting cost spells necessarily, it's definitely less exciting. And in a situation where you can pump the power of this creature, it certainly gets more interesting. But in Legacy, they didn't seem to be, need to be needing to do that at all. This was basically an upgrade to pre-existing Delver builds and they were getting plenty of value out of just dropping this early and then bolting something, bolting it again on the next attack phase and, and or, you know, casting a ponder or whatever. And yeah, I mean, it, it blows my mind a little bit that that the efficiency of the spells that it had provided double access to was enough to get it banned. Because you would think that, you know, if, you, if you're... Somebody had asked me a couple years ago, what is going to be more powerful in Legacy, Dreadhorde Arcanist or Snapcaster Mage, I would have said, well, for sure, Snapcaster. Like, Dreadhorde has to get to the attack phase, has to swing, has to survive long enough, it doesn't have flash. Would not have occurred to me that Snapcaster would be legal in the format and Dreadhorde Arcanist would be banned. This is wild. Uh, I, I mean, you're right, like, we don't now there was play, like, I don't really keep up with lists. I, you know, even when I was playing Magic regularly, and I mean, like, three times a week, I was, like, kind of aware of what went on in Legacy, but I didn't care to play it much. I didn't think it was nearly as fun as people pretended it thought it was. But this is, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I This is one of those cases where it's, it, it. I read that card, and I didn't go look at the format, but I was like, huh, is this related to some other card that they want to get rid of, but they didn't want to ban that card specifically. Like, oh, is this like a Tybalt's trickery thing, but they didn't want to ban trickery and legacy, so they banned Arcanus. Like, I didn't just, I just didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but it definitely jumped off the page at me as being the outlier. And like the one card that when I read through here, I didn't understand. But if it's just like straight value, that's so odd that that card is too good for legacy. Yeah. 
All well, right, I'll let, take your word for it. Well, I mean, let's take a look at the deck. There's, there's just not really much else going on in here. It's four Delver of Secrets, four Dreadhorde Arcanist, three Young Pyromancer, three Oko Thief of Crowns, which they also banned, uh, and then 27 spells. Brainstorm, Chain Lightning, Lightning Bolt, Ponder, Preordain, Spell, Pierce, Stifle, Daze, and Force of Will. That's it. That's the deck. Hmm. Well, I, 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 I feel like the longtime Legacy players would be looking at this and kind of like, I can't say rolling over in the grave because they're not dead, but <laughs> looking at this and finding it, you know, remembering the legacy from six years ago and finding this type of decision a little curious. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely saw a mixture of, of commentary from pros and uh, legacy players on Twitter. Uh, there was it did seem to be a little bit of debate, but the people that seemed to be closest to the action didn't seem to be uh, surprised in the slightest. There's, just, this thing has just been going hard at the format for months, basically. Like the Legacy mm. Champs was won by this deck eight no on February thirteenth, so basically just before the bans kicked in. Okay. Um, so it, it it was earning its stripes right up until, uh, and in that challenge, it finished second, fourth, seventh, ninth, tenth, thirteenth, fourteenth, and twenty fifth. <laughs> All right, sure. I mean, clear, clearly the numbers are there, right? Like, and I, I didn't, I didn't see a hundred tweets about how Wizards screwed this up, this ban up. So I presume it must be fine. Like the ban, the ban choice was fine uh, because no one was yelling about it. But it's still surprising to read as somebody who isn't keeping up with the format to be like, wait, they banned what? That card was too good. I, I think you have. It all comes down to the presence of days and force at will, right? Because that, plus the fact that your Delver, your Oko, and a lot of your spells are blue, gives you the what you need to protect the threat you get down. And if that threat has a, if that threat under protection has a snowballing effect, as Dread Horde Arcanist and a pile of one casting cost powerful spells will tend to do, then you start to get a better understanding of what's going on. And then, of course, they had access to Oko as the only green card in the list, just because Oko's ability to answer virtually any threat and turn it into an elk was just, you know, as busted as it usually is. To elk the opposing dreadhordes, I'm sure. <laughs> or whatever. They can, if they tinker something into play, if they, uh, or show and tell, I suppose, is more likely. Yeah. Or well, tinker. tinker is still banned, isn't it? Yeah. I meant show and tell. <laughs> so. Well. You know, whatever big nasty they get into play, Oko can handle, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, beyond that, I guess, everything kind of makes sense here. Uh, Mystic Sanctuary, I thought, was a little surprising in <clears throat> modern, um, just because it, uh, it didn't seem like that was oppressive or format warping. I'm not clear what the purpose of that was. The, the decks that were making use of it were looping things like Cryptic Command with it for soft locks, And it was pretty nasty in, in the spell-heavy decks that were running it. You saw a Sultai spell list, uh, some Bant versions, and some it versions along the way that found ways to make use of it. The other bands in Modern, Field of the Dead, Simeon Spirit Guide, Tybalt's Trickery, and Uro, the aforementioned. Tybalt's Trickery is a response to the Tybalt nonsense that's been going on. Um, sure. I mean, that one makes sense. Simeon Spirit Guide does incidental damage to ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
The Simeon Spirit Guide was also kind of odd because it's sort of a question of, well, why now, right? Yeah. Like Simeon Spirit Guide has been around in modern being probably too good for a long time, right? Like there's no question about that. But like why now all of a sudden? It's, it, it's you know, you can say, well, it was Tybalt's trickery and you can turn one it. But like, yeah, okay, but you banned Tybalt's trickery. So why did Simeon Spirit Guide decide to need to go? Did you catch... Um, Autumn Burr chats tweet about all of this a, a day or two ago. Yeah, I think so. Where um, she commented that they commented that uh, it really feels like modern has lost its identity. And it, modern had this like legacy was the brainstorm format and is the brainstorm format. And realistically, probably shouldn't be illegal, but they leave it there because that gives that format that like pillar. Um, not just in functionality, but in identity. And modern used to have that. It was the Mox Opal format, and sort of the the format existed ar- around that pillar. And then they banned Opal, and now just like it feels like it's it's reaching to be something, and it can't figure out what that is. And they keep cutting out legs of it. And I mean, the Simeon Spirit Guide ban hit a bunch of different decks. Like there were a lot of decks that used that card. Uh, that are all now cons- probably unplayable for the most part without s- serious retooling. Um, so that was another part of like what modern was. And I think I think they raised a good point that the format's really st- going to be struggling to figure out what it is, and players are going to get frustrated because now, like, I-, I don't think you. I almost wonder: is it possible to have built a tier one modern deck in the last three years? and not have had something banned in it. Like any tier one modern deck. I don't know. I didn't like, I, I, I'm only just having this thought now, but I wonder if you could have built a serious tier one deck in the last three years and have it escaped completely unscathed. If, if you mean tier one, at least during some period of time, sure. If you mean a tier one deck that both dodged bans and stayed tier one, that's tricky. That's definitely tricky because there's been so much turnover. Driven, yeah, like, di- driven by the influx of these hyper powerful cards. The, the main like, complaint with Uro, of course, and and this one I find, having not played a lot of modern lately, equally uh, difficult to understand alongside Dreadhorde Arcanist. Because yes, I fully recognize Uro is a super busted magic card. I've played against it in historic, using my fun decks on Arena and just get trounced every time. But Whenever I've been in that situation, I've always looked at the card and been like, yeah, but I could just be playing a better deck. Like, I could just play a deck that can kill an Uro on sight and remove it from the game. <laughs> like, there's, there's plenty of exile effects. I can just get rid of the card one-to-one. But the problem is that you, you, you know, there's this concept of make them have it that comes yeah. into play. Where Uro is going to be good every time you don't have it. And my worst case scenario is that you one-for-one it. And a lot of the time, when you try to one-for-one it, you don't exile it, so it just goes to my graveyard, and I get to bring it back again and again and again. So if your deck doesn't have the right answers for this card specifically, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be on the losing end of the value chain much more often than I will as the person casting Uro. Well, that's you know that's the uh, the Star City Premium article from 2012 is you know be the guy playing the questions, not the guy being playing the answers because you know the answers have to be the for the right questions but the questions don't care you don't have to pick the right question but you have to pick the right answer basically sure uh i mean it is it isn't 
was surprising to see the rest of these. And it is it is getting boring seeing these continuously just generically overpowerful cards show up, ruin the format, and then get banned. Um, and I say this as a effectively a casual observer. I would probably be a lot more chagrined had I been buying all of these to play with. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a problematic era because if you look at the bands across all 16 bands across all the formats, almost every card involved other than Simeon Spirit Guide and Balistrid Spy is an Undercity Informer are from the last few years, right? Yeah. So over yeah. in Pioneer, we had Teferi Time Raveler, just a tremendously oppressive control card. You have to play everything at sorcery speed. There's a lot of situations where that means you can't do the thing you need to do. And it's just too strong of a Planeswalker also for more of the spark. We got Uro, also banned in Pioneer. If it's good enough to get banned in Modern, it's certainly good enough to get banned in Pioneer. Wilderness Reclamation took a ban, which also felt preemptive to me. Wilderness yeah, that... Reclamation is not oppressive right now. But they're just going they're going above and beyond saying, we think this is going to be too good now. <laughs> so we're well, just gonna go ahead and get it off the board. <sighs> you know, the the pioneer bands were clearly more uh, proactive than reactive. Um, when compared to the other ones, mm-hmm. which bothered me less um, because I understand that they they are trying to take an aggressive approach with Pioneer format balance, which they said they were going to do, and that's what they're doing. And, and like, that's okay. That doesn't really bug me. Um, the modern ones are weirder. Although I do think that the Wilderness Reclamation ban is, preem- is, is premature, but at least I don't find it as odd of a decision um, as I would have otherwise worth noting that undercity informer and balustrade spy take the oops all spells deck out of pioneer completely because that's their that that was their whole win condition yeah so that deck is just dead before anybody even had a chance to build it in paper for that format and that certainly underscores a lot of what we've been telling people for the since covid kicked in which is yeah stick to your edh premium collector reserve list specs because the stuff for competitive constructed is Who knows whether those decks will still exist by the time you get around to playing them. Well, you know, as for the uh, whether or not Oops All Spells will still exist by the time people make it back to the tables to play Paper Magic, obviously they've had a, you know, that killed the deck, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see them figure out how to do that again before we get to... uh, before we get to paper. Like, by the time we get to paper, they'll have figured out another way to be doing that nonsense, um, just with different cards. Uh, yeah, I also thought Wilderness Reclamation was very... was out of place. I And the Oops All Spells. I don't know. I, I mean, the Oops All Spells makes at least a little more sense to me, just because that's just, like... That's not... I mean, y- yes, it's magic in the way that the most degenerate of us like it to be magic, but, like, eh. It's the worst type of magic, you know? For wizards yeah i mean i'm looking at the the rest of this and because a lot of people have never even built their first pioneer deck that aggressive stance on trying to carve out a different lower power level for the format as you said seems fine this stuff in modern i can see how you could be pissed off if you entered covid era with a deck and it's now been undone you know, somebody, there's people that, in the Toronto scene that have had foiled out ad nauseum decks for years and have never 
have just been doing their thing, causing nobody any trouble, <laughs> mm-hmm. and just got blasted by this and have to figure things out. I'm curious whether that deck uh, can still be played in the format. I mean, maybe it can. It, it's not like it was it was tier one, so it yeah. it had its moments, and I I'm willing to bet that uh, it would probably be. The reason if it, it, there have been plenty of times where that was legit tier one and it may have only lost its tier one status because they printed crap like Uro and Oko and all that sort of in a row. Um, I don't know what it will look like by the time we make it to paper, of course. Uh, so it's a, it, it, it was quite a, it was quite a good deck, really, basically before the the current generation of magic constructed c- cards existed. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see it hang around in some capacity. Honestly, the Simeon Spirit Guide was very good for that deck, but not critical. Um, obviously, it gave you opportunities to speed up a turn, uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it still kicking down the road. Well, and the Upsal Spells deck is left alone here in Modern, so it's still a thing there. And I would expect to see some of that. I would expect that you're going to see Hammer Time. You're going to see... Uh, the black red uh, death shadow decks were completely untouched by this so they should be in good position for the next little while mm, um, oh yeah that's gonna be real good and you know who knows what the the incarnation of control decks will look like they they're losing some some key uh, pieces of the puzzle here but in modern you still have access to the fairy time raveler uh, and then in legacy you still have access to uro if you wanted them but unclear that that there's much of a role to be played there the other banning in legacy we didn't mention is arkham's astrolab is banned which means it's now the modern horizons card has now been banned in it's definitely in modern and legacy i can't remember if it's also banned in vintage i don't think it's banned in vintage like what that seem that would seem silly right yeah although they also banned like luris although they unbanned him right uh yeah, it's, it's legal in like in vintage, but not yeah. much of a not as big of a deal there. The the ban for legacy is just about the joke running joke on social media was that they're unbanning basic lands because <laughs> in the presence of Arkham's Astrolab, fixing your lands is so easy using Snow Basics that that's all anybody needed to do for the most part. Sure, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, and then one unbanning, as you just alluded to, Alluris of the Dream Den has been unbanned in Vintage. Now, Luris shows thereby shows up on the Fast Movers list this week in the Foil Extended Art version, which we called out earlier this year. Um, after the rules change to the uh, Companions, we ended up flagging at various moments both Luris and Yorion on this cast. I think the Yorion pick was second week of September or something, 2020. Uh, for me at like 13 to go to 40 and I did indeed sell one over 40 today so that's worked out and my Luris I had posted at like 60 something on eBay some dude sent me a couple of like lowball offers um, and I usually use those just to move my price up because it usually results in me checking what the price of the card is in question and if it's my canary copy meaning that i might have multiple copies in stock but i only ever post one so that even if it sells i'm not missing the curve that's ahead of us so 
Got a couple offers, sure enough, checked, looked like Loris was headed for the sky, so I moved it up another 15 bucks, and then went to bed, and woke up, and the first thing I saw was in our Discord, people were talking about how they had sold $100 copies, and I was like, oh, I haven't looked at my eBay yet, but I bet my $75 copy sold. Ah, it sold. <laughs> Damn it. But I Darn, had a- I sold the card, made money. What's, <laughs> that's the worst. In at 25, at at 75, six-month hold. Yeah, that'll, that'll just fine. But could have done 100 um and i think there's probably still some room to move there and not really because of vintage this is still i think mostly a modern play like luris has showed up in tons of modern decks and is another one of the cards that benefits from these bannings in modern because none of the decks that play luris care about this and luris also shows up in the pioneer decks that are unaffected by these bands so you know, like the black white auras deck <laughs> didn't get any didn't get anything banned and is very well positioned probably in Pioneer coming out the other side of this. So Oh yeah. Um you know, vintage helps because vintage players like to bling out their stuff, but you know, I think Lur- Luris was already on track to get there ahead of this announcement, so this is just, you know, bonus. Yeah, Luris has got still some angles to work. I would agree with that. <laughs> All right, so um, Wizards took a huge ban hammer while people weren't playing paper and decided to wield it. So we'll see which, see where that takes things. Which admittedly is respectable, right? Like the fact that they they use an opportunity where they otherwise... Th- this type of activity when people were regularly playing paper would have been uh, more upsetting, I think, across the board because it would have messed up people's current collections much more so. But now it's like, well, most of you aren't playing these cards in paper, so it's it's less of a big deal right now. Well, this just re- the other angle here is it really underscores why a lot of vendors have shifted towards old foils, 7th edition foils, premium cards, masterpieces, high-end showcase stuff, uh, you know, alt-art anime planeswalkers, and a a ton of reserved list and pseudo-reserved list single printing cards that we've been reporting on for months as being in constant motion because they don't have access to big constructed tournaments. They can't go buy a list on the floor who knows when people are going to get back to playing in person. So it really makes sense for them to refocus on the collectability aspect, especially given the super trend across the collectibles industry as a whole that's been going on during COVID. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, you look at this sort of as a whole and you're like, well, no wonder why super premium versions of cards are so popular and the collectible market in general is, is so strong, especially for Magic. Because if you buy any card printed in the last few years, there's a 40% chance it's not going to be legal before it rotates from standard. Uh, so there's definitely an angle there, a, a, an impetus for people to navigate, you know, migrate towards the older choices. The other thing that I'll say is that I almost put the Uro secret layer on my cards to watch list this week because I ran a poll on Twitter and I think it was something like 70% of people said they had, they were not interested in buying that on the basis that, you know, given the facts that it was banned in multiple formats and Probably also something to do with the them being worried uh, about the foil versions if they had been would otherwise have considered those. Um, 
And I'm thinking to myself, you really want to be where others are not sometimes. And with secret layers in particular, because they do have uh, a, f- a very defined sales window. And it's worth noting that that window is getting bigger. They used to be on sale for like a day or a week or whatever. And now it's for like a few weeks. Like this, yeah. this, this secret layer goes on from... Da, 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 da. When does it close? I think it's I... like next week sometime or something so it's open for two weeks i believe it seems like they were bound the originally they were all one week one day at a time uh that very initial release and then i noticed some of them were different periods of time depending on what the desire was like i presumed that the black history month one would be for most of this month although it's not right like it's only for the last week or something mm, no it's that. three weeks it's three weeks it goes on into march is it oh Huh. I didn't actually look, but that's a weird way to do that one because you would think it would just be available for all for all of February, right? Black History <laughs> Month. Sure, but they're they're you know they're they're plugging into that woke angle marketing angle, but ultimately they're slaves to their own production needs. So yeah. so anyway, the the what's it called? Smitten Super Drop twenty twenty one ends February twenty second, and in that drop. I've been, I'm looking at the lands because I think they are people are split on whether they're any good. And that says to me that they could end up like the uh, Winter Wonderland Throne of Eldraine lands that sold relatively poorly and therefore were very hard to come by and therefore became scarce fast and therefore became expensive in a hurry. And I think they're like $75 a set now or something on TCG and there's very few left. Those lands could easily end up in that same boat. And there's only one way to get that particular, you know, if you want that island, you have to buy a drop, which implicitly is whatever, $30 for the non-foils. Yeah. So you're paying six bucks per basic. And that's your starting point. And so far as we know, there's no extras in these sets. So it's a straight $6 per land. So if you want 40 of those later, you're talking about $240 for your set. If you want 20 of them, it's 120 bucks, And that's assuming they don't go up. So I think lots of people will look at these lands and be like, I don't like that art, or I don't want to pay six bucks a basic, or whatever. And then all it's going to take down the road is that 0.2% of the magic population decides otherwise, goes looking for that stuff on TCG Player or eBay, and finds that the inventory pool is very shallow indeed. And you're, gonna uh, have, you're just going to have like a couple of people that are like, I love those lands. I want 30 of them. And they're going to be gone in a hurry. That, that, is, uh, that is true. And I was wondering that as well. Um, not the land one so much, but the, uh, the Uro one specifically, which you had mentioned. Because I was like... Yeah, Primeval Titan's banned in EDH, and that's probably not going to change. But he's relatively popular in Modern. And Cube. And Cube. And actually, he's not legal in Pioneer at the moment. No, 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 no. But might end up legal in Pioneer um, if they end up reprinting him at some point. And I was like, no one's going to want that Earl one, because why would you buy it? So but you if no one it. wants it, maybe so you should I should buy, buy it. it. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm looking at getting 10 of the lands. I think it might be 10 foil and 10 non-foil. 
and and possibly ten of the non-foil Uro. Because I think that anyone who still wants the Uro, like say you're planning on playing it in EDH, you might be drawn to the foil. Uh, given that he's not legal in any constructed format at this point, I would presume you would get the foil. So that means the non-foils might sell worse. Now, it's also possible that the story of secret layer foils being, you know, Pringles has spread far and wide enough that the foils will sell very poorly. So I'm not 100% on how that's going to play out. But I, I let's put it this way. Uro is still a great commander card. The art on this is excellent. The showcase frames from Kaldheim are excellent. This is the best Uro, I think. So, and you can get them for essentially $10. Right. The the non-foil version of the Uro is actually No, it looks like they've Huh. It's like thirty and forty, isn't it? No, you, you know what? I think they actually marked it down. Really? Yes, they did. I don't I don't think we flagged this in the Discord yet. Yeah, what is the, the what the, is what are the prices right now? The the Uro foil has a strikeout and it shows thirty four ninety nine as the no, price. I, I if they've changed that, that would have been like immediately because I remember it having that when I looked. Okay, because none of the others have it. I I swear when I looked at that, I noticed the prices were crossed out. When did you look at it? Uh, no, it would have probably been the the day it was announced. I think you will have you will you'll have to double check that. Uh, well, I mean, some, but some but sanity check on that. Whether or not they did it up front is not really relevant. What's relevant is the Croxa pack, which is Inferno Titan, Croxa, and Grave Titan, is still thirty nine ninety nine. But the Euro one is thirty four ninety nine. I bet you for the fourth. that I'm betting that they had initially planned on selling the Euro one at the same 40. Yeah. And then by the before this even was up for sale, they realized that Euro was going to get banned. And they marked and, it down. And marked it down the five bucks and launched it at $5 off because we're banning Euro. I, either way, thanks for the free five bucks. Like Oko sure. Assassin, the guy who runs, uh, basically moderates our Magic Online channel in the Pro Trader Discord, has already reported that <clears throat> he got like I think it was fifteen dollars worth of value just out of selling the digital assets that come with the the sets. <clears throat> uh. So cost basis on this can be brought down into the mid teens kind of thing. In which case, if you're saying that you're getting the Frost Titan and the Primeval Titan for free and your Euro is $15, <laughs> seems fine to me. Yeah, it's, it's, I, you're, you're playing a little bit of a gamble, I think, with how long it's going to take to get paid off on that. Because it does seem possible that you might end up waiting years. But, at, you know, at the same time, those extended art foil Okos which I kind of figured we're going to be dead in the water for quite some time, uh, are, I think I'm actually, uh, I was <clears throat> underwater on them, and I don't think I am anymore. And that was, uh, God, isn't Throne of Drain still in standard for seven months? Till, like, yeah, till the fall. It's, it's not even, so that card's like still would have been, like it, it hasn't even been a standard rotation yet, and that card is already climbing back up which you know is a little surprising so maybe you'll the, my point being maybe you'll get paid off on these sooner than you expect well i mean oko 
gets kicked in the nuts here. P- people who bought foil borderless Okos at the wrong time, potentially the wrong time twice, could definitely have been kicked in the nuts. Well, if, you, if you bought foil borderless Okos in November 2019 and or bought them when I called them early summer under 100 to go to 150 or whatever, and you got out on time, you did you did very well. If you held through either of those events, you got wrecked. Because foil, I think Oko borderless was down to... Yeah, lowest foil after the banning is down to... It's a copy at 113. So people have been, you know, a few people have been undercut. There's still only 16 listings. And over on the Euro pages on TCG Player, lowest priced Euro, just regular pack copy, not foil or anything, not extended art, is holding steady over 20 so far. So are there a lot of Euros flowing back into the market potentially from people who don't need them anymore? <laughs> yeah. But is Uro still an excellent card in EDH? Also, yeah. And yeah. the thing is, like, keep in mind there's cards like the Great Henge, which was a big deal card in Standard, for sure. But Standard's not driving the price of the Great Henge. The Great Henge is skyrocketing because it's a fantastic EDH card. So if Uro was only ever legal for EDH, he's, it's still Uro. It's... Uh... I, I don't I don't know which ones you're supposed to buy here. It feels like you're playing a really tough game because you have to guess which one won't be popular now but will be popular later. People have been talking about getting the bundle because the bundle is $50 off or whatever. But I don't really like the Valentine's Day uh, one. Like I like the art style. I like the artist. But I don't think that the cards in question are going to be... Like I don't think mono-red players are going to want that particular art for the most part. Uh, and the fairy cards seems like wrong cards, wrong time. Although they also have cool art. Uh, it doesn't appeal to me particularly. So keep in mind, I've avoided a lot of the secret layers for the most part. But I'm, I've been on the lookout for a while for one that I think is going to be underestimated. And I think Uro and the fancy lands here could be the answer. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that that's a bad choice. Uh, I I have opted to basically just mostly stay away with the expectation that um, some of these will be quite profitable, but they won't be ones that I bought. And I can live with that um, because it feels like you're gambling, trying to get cute with that, I guess. Um, But eh, eh, worth a shot if you want to splash around and you like the cards yourself. I, I, I guess I don't think you're going to lose out, I suppose. I think all of the secret layers you will end up positive regardless. It's just will it be on a quick enough timeline and will it be for enough money that you made a good profit? The other thing is my network is pretty global at this point and secret yeah. layers are pretty expensive to ship overseas. So having secret layers in stock just to export to other markets for key cards. Like if you believe the narrative that I've been hearing that Japan is starting to dip its toe in the water on commander, (laughs) Mm. then, you know, they are, they are the product, like the S tier collectors on the planet trust. Like both, both of us having been in Tokyo at various points, we can attest that they, they are committed to the collecting process to a degree that, 
folks in, for instance, Central Europe do not understand. Um, it's just completely different cultures. Yeah, anime figurines are uh, very popular. Well, it's just uh, it's just collecting culture. in general. Like they have whole sub industries that we don't have here. Like Mondorake is a, a series of collector department stores. The one in Akihabara, the tech district of Tokyo, is like six or seven stories tall or whatever, and is just stuffed full of collectibles. And that's a place where on the first floor you can like hand in like basically you buy list collectibles on the first floor, and then all the other floors are the stuff people buy listed, hmm. and it's like. It's huge. Um, and then there's a whole, I don't know if you saw these, but there's like the cubby hole places where you can like sell anything. You're just renting like a cubic foot of space. Yes. Yes. That I is com- see those. completely absent in North America, but really cool if you're out hunting for collectibles because they can have whatever in them. They can have yeah. magic cards. They can have old baseball cards. They can have records. They can have vintage clothing. They can have somebody's used sex doll. I legit have pictures of some guy's used sex doll that was just the head was on display because they didn't have room for the whole thing in the in the space. I'm disappointed you didn't buy it. And then he, they had like pictures of the... Although you didn't uh, say that you didn't buy it. Well, <laughs> it was too expensive. I was already exporting like $9,000 worth of Transformers or something on that trip. So there was no room for a sex doll. The shipping rates were just atrocious. <laughs> um, although it is like the only time Ellie ever flipped something. Um, because in Tokyo, she found these really cool male sex toys that were way ahead of the curve at that point. This was almost 10 years ago. And she bought five of them as, as a speculatory thing for like 80 bucks a piece and brought them back to Toronto wow. and posted them for sale for $200 a piece. <laughs> but on her, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Kijiji posting or whatever. She put her name as Ellie, E-L-I, and, and Guys were buying this thinking they were buying from this guy, Eli. <laughs> and then they'd like arrange to meet in like a gas station parking lot. And this girl would show up and drop off their sex toy. <laughs> okay. And she didn't even have like a brown paper bag for them or anything. She's just like handling, handing them this like fleshlight equivalent that she picked up. Uh, the whole thing was just hysterical. Well, you, get, you get to sell it a couple times because you sell it to them. And then they die of embarrassment when she shows up to <laughs> hand it over and you get to take it home. So I, I just want to focus. Ellie saw these products mm-hmm. in Tokyo and went, you know what? I think if I buy these for $80, I can buy them and sell them to the local perverts in Toronto for a big markup and decided to get into reselling sex toys. It's so out that, of character. That it's, was the decision tree here that we're talking. It, and if you know her, it's so out of character for her. That's complete. The, the, the fact that this story is true kind of blows my mind at this point because she's done nothing like it before or since. And I'm sure that I had something to do with it where I was like, you know what? I bet you could make money on those. Like, because she, she, one a theme during our, during our relationship has always been like, you're making so much money on collectibles, but I don't really give a shit about any of that. I wish I had a thing of my own. Like, mm-hmm. and at one point we were talking about her. They do these, um, uh, like col- fashion collaboration drops at H and M or whatever, where they had, had, have like people line up overnight and sleep on the sidewalk to go buy whatever fashion designers like H and M gear that's only available for one day in store. Um, and she had talked about like getting in on some of that action. 
but yeah, she she ran, she just saw this stuff sitting on a shelf and thought it was cute and like probably effective. And I was like, you know what? You could probably make money on those. And she was like, like, how much do you think I could charge? And I'm like, like double probably what you paid. I've never seen anything like it in Toronto. And she, and sure enough, she, I think she sold four of the five and gave another one away to somebody as a like gag gift at a wedding. As a, uh, the other aspect of this is I, I consider myself relatively well-traveled online, but I feel like if I was overseas and saw a weird sex toy, I wouldn't be confident that that wasn't already prevalent in markets, local markets of my own, and I just didn't know. Like, I, I guess I'm like, oh, I don't know what the male sex toy market looks like, so I wouldn't think that it was novel. I would just think that I hadn't seen it before. I think that's where I came in. I, I have a friend who has worked in that industry for ages. So I definitely like kicked in a comment like, I don't think that, like, I think that's novel. Like, I don't think I've seen that before. Um, and I have no idea if today, I'm sure things have caught up because the, the, the word fleshlight was circulating at, le- at least a few years later. And this is something along, was something along those lines. It was like a, it was like a big canister. It looked like a, like a Slurpee cup you stick your dick in. So. It's along the along the lines of stuff that exists in North America today, but you know the Japanese tend to be a little ahead of the curve did, on the kink. Did you know that we are a not recording in after hours right now, uh, <laughs> and b ostensibly talking about the ban list changes? Yeah, we're, we're it, a little a little off it, topic. It is the day after Valentine's Day, so this seems at yeah. least you know tangentially related. That, that's our little dose of amore for all the fans out there yeah. all right so basic bottom line i have a suspicion smitten super drops gonna parts of it are gonna get there i think i'm gonna throw a thousand bucks at it and see what happens the wait this smitten one yeah smitten is the one that has uro in the lands oh okay now they also as you uh, mentioned earlier did announce the final cards for the uh black history month secret layer which is i think seven cards total yeah, I thought they were done when they had shown the five, but apparently there were two left. So Soul Ring, a really unique looking Soul Ring, where the Soul Ring is basically like a magical necklace thing, uh, like a disc around uh, the character's neck, and then Path to Ancestry uh, being the seventh card. I think those are that set looks like a slam dunk to me. It's great art. It's a good cause. Probably lots of people are going to buy it, but there, but from the cynical side. There is some, we know that there is a reactionary segment in the collectibles space. We've seen it, uh, you know, the quartering and all his cadre of nincompoops. The, there's going to be some segment of the magic market that rejects the premise of that sale. Yeah, uh, I did think about that because that soul ring is genuinely awesome. Like that soul ring is very, very cool. Um, and I think that it is arguably the best soul ring the only the only problem i have with that artwork is that it makes it very much look like an equipment and it is not obviously so it feels like it's a like a little out of place in that it's gonna be sitting with your mono rocks but look like you should be equipping it to a creature but i do think the art is is awesome i love that framing but I, and i was also 
dismayed when I realized that even though it's an excellent art, there will be a percentage of people who won't want it because of the purpose behind it, which all feels kind of gross. When I, when you start thinking about this, I start to feel gross. And it was like when Wizards did all of those uh, oddly chosen bands over the summer and they banned like Jihad and stuff like that. And people, you know, the prices on those cards was going up because now these were had this sort of extra layer of history to them. And it was like, oh, should you be buying uh, Invoke Prejudice because this is like a super secret band card now? And like, I didn't want to make money off of that type of thing. Nope. And and, and, it, and you get kind of a similar sensation with this. Is like, oh, do I feel bad thinking that I shouldn't buy this because it will be harder to profit on it because racists won't buy it? Ah, this is all gross. Like maybe, and but at the same time, for like if I'm like I'm just gonna stay away from this because all of this feels icky. I feel like I'm buying into that concern. I don't know. This whole thing just makes me awkward to think about. Between this though and the last secret layer they did for charity, the the unique thing about the uh, art direction for both of those sets, which frankly seem like they were probably designed together, is positivity cheerfulness and joy Mm -hmm. qualities that very rarely show up on magic cards (laughs) you know like there's no magic cards called really great day (laughs) characters just like whistling and walking down the street like waving at people they're in they're sometimes in like battle bond conspiracy you get um uh and also they were there was an entire set of those it was lorwyn and that was it. You got Lorwyn. And oh, you mean like the Kifkin cards? Yeah, the Kifkin the, had a tendency to look happy-go-lucky. The whole thing. Lorwyn and Morning Tide were like were supposed to be fairy tale ish before you know before what was it? Uh, what was the other Innistrad? Oh. Innistrad was like the dark fairy tale. Well, Eldraine was dark. Eldraine, yes, thank you. That was. I'm like, I feel like there was something else. Eldraine, yeah, Eldraine is like the the darker fairy tale, whereas this was like. A straight face, cheery, happy type of crap. Um, but yes, I, I, I agree with you that you don't see a lot of that very often. And it it is nice to have that that angle, that emotional component to it, because for exactly as you said, like you don't see that a lot. Yeah. So I mean, I think there's th- those are cool collectibles for a Magic player. Period. Supporting causes related to the ongoing struggles of people of color all over the world, really, but specific to the Magic community in the U.S. Since that's the focal point for it, this game, for the most part, all on, seems like wins. On a side note, I was chatting with some other people who don't really play Magic at all, but are you know they're they're gamers, just not they just don't play Magic. And the idea, Magic came up, and I don't remember why, and, and something about you know, political and social movements. And I said, well, you know, actually, like, I have to say, as far as gaming companies go, it's hard for me to think of one that at least on the surface puts as much effort into being um, socially aware as Wizards does. Like, we, I have given them a lot of shit for their various missteps over the years especially recently in regards to um you know their efforts at diversity and things like that their little tweet storm about look at all the black people we hired 
back when BLM was blowing up and it was two people. And then six hours later, they remembered, uh, was it Greg Orange was black? That was weird. But they do make an effort in their artwork and their stories at sort of this like corporate level to be very inclusive, which uh, I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of. But when you look at other gaming companies, you're like, yeah, nobody else really does this, do they? Well, especially if you look at something like Warhammer, for instance, where the entire lore is extremely nihilistic. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even like like League of Legends, like I don't follow League at all, but every now and then people will post artwork for some reason or other, not even necessarily trying to post the artwork, but like link a wiki page in a Discord I'm reading and it will have um, the artwork show up. And I'm looking at the characters. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like every official character from riot looks like an anime play girl playmat that gets banned at your local card store because it's so gross like a lot of big companies don't put the effort into making products like this which like are super corporate and shallow but still matter to somebody out there sure all right should probably move on over to top paper movers of the week there was hundreds of cards that we could have covered on this yet again but we'll go through our selection here. We'll start with a couple of my recent uh, cast calls going up in a hurry. Vorinclex Phyrexian, called as a risky spec last week at $200, is currently sitting at about $275 on TCG Player a week later. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, not surprising, as we talked about last week. Market price is still only at $226. So they've been hollowed out, probably in part by pro traders, and also in part uh, because when I flagged it, it was in part, sorry, when I flagged it, it was uh, a reaction to extremely high buy lists in Japan, which when that happened with uh, foil extended our jeweled lotus, jeweled lotus started a strong climb upward. So the logic when something like well if japan is offering 400 dollars on these vendors are going to start snapping them off near 200 just to flip into other markets overseas so and the card's pretty good it's hard to find like compared to a showcase mythic it's uh half as uh or twice as rare because it basically shares uh, a slot with the showcase version, the non-Phyrexian version with the uh, showcase Kaldheim art. And so the showcase version then turned into a topic of discussion and ended up being uh, flagged by me in the Discord uh, a few days back as, let's see what that call was in Best Ideas, talking about... Copies being available in the $80 to $90 range and talking about these probably going something like $80 to $150 with card market and Europe having copies in the $70 to $72 range. And sure enough, those are now sitting at five listings left on TCG Player, seven total copies, starts at $96, then $100, then $100, then 102 then $133, and that's it. Jeez. This is the showcase, Vorinclex now. Okay. And one of the points I made was that the even though that they are 50-50, like basically the Phyrexian and the showcase are about the same rarity, I argued that the showcase Vorinclex in English is actually more rare overall of the two. Because 
showcases in other languages would be a large chunk, say 40% or something, 40, 45% of the total copies. The Phyrexian shows up in all language boxes, but it's always Phyrexian. So if you're in the market for English foil showcase Vorinclax Monstrous Raider, it is actually the rarer of the two. I don't... I feel like that's not going to matter. Like, that will be true, but the price still will not reflect that over time Well, the, on, a, on a long enough horizon. My point wasn't that it was going to overtake the Phyrexian version, because I think the Phyrexian script is a cool factor thing. And it also, it's also, as we predicted, probably means that there's a cycle coming um, that will motivate people to collect all of them. I saw those flooded strands today. <laughs> <laughs> so, the... But I do think it means that the showcase version is going to close the gap somewhat. You know, if the... If the Phyrexian version is going to be three to 400, you can easily see the showcase version being 150 yeah i mean 150 and 400 sure like that doesn't seem terribly un, un terribly impossible um although that's i would consider that a fairly substantial gap so we'll see if if the market is able to close to pile up some inventory and push prices back in the other direction on these two they are the chase cards out of Caldheim. My theory goes that I don't think I don't think Keldheim is being is enjoying particularly strong sales. I don't think that the uh, that the collector boosters are being much sought after because they're they seem to be relatively easy to come by. You know, I, I've seen we saw prices on CBs this week as low as one sixty five, which is very close to cost, if not cost for most stores. So, if there's not much impetus to be cracking product because the EV of the whole product isn't positive, then these cards spiking hard is not going to be enough to turn the corner on that, which just means that it should be, in theory, hard for, you know, we would normally expect six to eight weeks out, you're going to see your true lows on the inventory from whatever standard set, because that's when you've hit true peak supply. But with this stuff, I don't know. Doesn't does, <laughs> that You would expect two weeks into the set release that, there would be a lot more than five copies of a showcase mythic on on TCG player. Uh, yeah, I I, I find I wonder if the um, weak Kaldheim sales are because it's just not that interesting for commander players. Like it seems like it. You know, when we talked to Jason, he was not really impressed with where the set was going in that regard, and I wonder how much of that is uh, is attributed to the Kaldheim's weaker sales. I think I think Kaldheim's just in the, in an awkward position because the three sets that came before it were so chock a block full of super staples. You have double masters with the VIP packs into Zendikar Rising with the expeditions into Commander Legends with Jeweled Lotus, Mana Drain, Vampiric Tutor, Scroll Rack, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and a whole host of brand new cards that are excellent for EDH. And then the next set after that is just a a, a solid normal standard set. <laughs> And so its collector boosters are hinging on these, you know, the showcase cards, but they made the showcase cards really easy. Like all the number of foil uh, extender mythics in the set is only four. Only four of the mythics are not showcase. 
So it really undermines the, you know, the need to pursue the collector boosters specifically. Mm-hmm. And then Kaldheim as a whole is just walking into, okay, we've been in COVID for a year. There's <laughs> places are going back into lockdown all over the place. Parts mm-hmm. of Canada and parts of the U.S. are opening probably prematurely, and that's not looking good, which means there's no way in hell major magic events are going to happen in 2021. No. So now we're pushing out to 2022 and possibly beyond, like depends how well vaccinations go and whether the variants are end up too resistant to the current vaccinations and then we have to order another 600 million doses to re-inoculate everybody against the like a lot can happen here that makes buying standard set cards a thing you can just easily say especially if you're a relatively low commitment player just be like you know what i'll buy what i need later no big deal yeah well i did wonder about that um you know as well as is this set releasing into no one playing standard really so at least in paper which makes it even harder to sell that set and it kind of, you know which is also all a little curious because you've got watsy last week or hasbro talking about how wizards magic had its best year ever in 2020 and it's like well so it, it's kind of curious i'm trying to you try to square those numbers and you're like no one's buying the set because where are they going to play it but yeah the sales numbers are so good well, keep, but keep in mind, Kaldheim's not the numbers that they're referring to. They're talking about the the year that they released all those premium sets that I was referring to. So, right, 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 right. But you know, so double, just, double, it, double, double, a, a year that has double masters, Zendikar Rising with Expeditions plus Commander Legends within a five month period. That that's why, because that was very well targeted, excellent premium product that the whales lapped up. Yeah. Yeah. And and also a year, you know, uh, Seth from Saffron from uh, MTG Goldfish had pointed out on Twitter, you know, one that his interpretation of like one of the his suspicions about why their numbers were so good was secret layer. And while I don't think that's the whole story, because I think people overestimate, you know, how big the secret layer project is in terms of total sales versus their normal sales vehicles, it still helps. Like that could have been an, an extra fifty or sixty million. Right. Right. Some some total, right? Like yeah. for for them to have sold fifty million worth of secret layer last year, they would need to have sold like one point two five million units across. What was it like, twenty five or thirty drops, something like that. Mm. So that might be a little high. I I would guess that the secret layer project was probably thirty to thirty five million last year which is still a really nice addition to the bottom line when you consider how big the margins are when there's no middlemen, no distributor, no vendor, and they're getting the full retail price and only have to pay production and art costs and so forth. So (laughs) that's why secret layers aren't going away anytime soon, even if they're Pringles. Yeah. Yeah, people. As long as they keep selling, that's (laughs) they're not going to fix that problem. Yeah, there's no way any of that's going away. Uh, All right. Way so, profitable. So moving right along here. Balefire Dragon was another one of my recent calls, uh, specifically the uh, Ultimate Masters box topper uh, to go 40 to 70. And uh, indeed, it's gone 40 to 68 currently on TCG Player. Uh, shout out to uh, Carl Choi on our Discord, who also tried to flag that for me like a month ago and, and was one of the hundreds of suggestions for cards to watch that 
don't end up getting used on cast and then have the potential to be used later by us (laughs) independently. Uh, Meek Stone out of Masterpiece Series uh, Kaladesh. 60 to 115. Meek Stone. Meek Stone is almost like a meme card. (laughs) In Uh, that sense. Like if you're, when you were, when we were originally buying up inventions in europe we definitely didn't buy any meek stones i i i don't know if i bought any meek stones or not here's what i am going to tell you meek stone is an awesome card like you guys if you think this card's not good you're sleeping on it uh i put this in my sitar condo deck sitar condo and timret and they were all uh low power creatures and meek stone is extremely obnoxious especially when you pair it with those other cards that make people's creatures come into play tapped so they just don't get to untap they never get to untap their creature uh that is the next time you look through your edh deck keep pay attention to how many creatures you have with power three or greater that you want to be able to turn sideways that aren't just like eternal witnesses and you're going to be like damn that's actually a lot of them Possibly all of them. It isn't 5,000 reported decks on EDH rec after all, which is only 1% of the total decks that could be playing it. But that's well, not nothing. Fact. It's yeah. not nothing. But but it's not moving because it's an EDH staple. It's moving because people are are looking at all of the invention, the Masterpiece series and saying, you know what? These are four, five, six years old. We can. There's very few of these around. We can go ahead and do round three on these and just hollow them out completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like with everything else as well, the excitement's there. We're buying everything. Well, I missed the boat on the other stuff, so I'm going to get these before they go up. Well, it's also just a self fulfilling prophecy. Like this is a, a, or it's cyclical in the sense that vendors who went in on reserve lists garbage recently, and probably were not 100 percent sure that those two dollar cards were going to they were going to be able to flip them for fifteen. They were probably thinking, you know what? At worst, I'm going to buy Listen for 350 next year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they went ahead and totally sold a bunch of copies at 15 to 20 dollars each that they picked up at two to three. I mean, that's how you get things like Scarwood Bandits being on this list, going from five to 25. An utterly useless card, but it's on the reserve list. It's from the dark. So as yeah. soon as somebody, as soon as market on TCG Player catches up to the new plateau. <laughs> You're telling people that, yeah, if you go corner this thing, you're going to have, you're going to be able to get the exit you're looking for. That's going to force them to go looking for other targets in similar circumstances. And they're going to, the primary determining factor, as I've said many times, is scarcity. And if scarcity is in play, away you go. Rankle Master Pranks Extended Art, not the foil, non-foil, 20 to $40. So if you crack those in Throne of Eldrain, Collector Boosters in the fall of 2019... Uh, 4,300 EDH rec decks reported for Rankle, and you also see Rankle show up in the mono blacklist in Pioneer, uh, the, which were also unaffected by the bannings. And uh, on a side note, the foils on this are, uh, they're five copies. Sure. Uh, and the cheapest is 60 bucks right now. The market price is 47, but it looks like this is, it goes 60, 60, 80, and then you're gone. Um, and the EA foil was a pick of mine a while ago, and I think I picked it at like 30 bucks or something, 30 or 40 bucks. Yep. So hopefully we get to talk about that next week. Oran Frostfang, head of Commander 2019, 9 to 18. One of, I think one of the pro traders tried to submit this a few weeks back. 
apologies if I don't recall who it was. Um, but Snow Hype, single printing card, can do work at EDH, so on the move. Uh, Luris of the Dream Den, foil extended arts, 45 to 100 unbanned in vintage, and already was drained when that happened, so now there's basically none left. Uh, I had somebody on TCG, I snapped off a $50 copy just ahead of the curve here, and, well, a few of them. But one of them, the TCG player vendor said, oh, got to cancel, went to look, don't have the card. Yeah, I see you. Okay, I'm going to out myself here. I have absolutely said that to people a couple (laughs) times and and meant it entirely. Like my inventory management is uh, leave something to be desired. So if you've ever bought something from me and like I sent you one of those messages like, oh, I looked for it and couldn't find it. I did look for it and I couldn't find it. Like I'm not trying to screw you. And I think like, I I, I don't know. I want to say most of the time you get hit by that. It actually, they actually can't find the card. Because even when you even like and I and I and I'm gonna base that on the fact that even when I buy cards who aren't spiking, I'm just like buying random cards. I was getting that on like I don't know like five percent of my orders or something like that. Like it wasn't that crazy to have that happen. I definitely several times a year cannot find the card, and and I have a pretty good inventory management system, but sometimes you just can't find the card because you you put it somewhere dumb. Um, I and the worst my worst offender for 2020 was a guy in the summer trying to buy a wheel of fortune from me and it had just spiked but I I always honor that like I'm totally fine if I forgot to take it down or change the price that's on me and I was still going to make plenty of money on it so I would have happily honored the sale but I couldn't find it <laughs> and I was like this guy totally thinks I'm a fucking dick <laughs> yep so it's true it, it can happen the uh yeah, I, I had a guy, one of the guys that tried to lowball me on my Luris last night, sent a lowball, then sent another one. Then I moved my price up, and he just sends me a singular phrase, fuck you, <laughs> as his third message, which was lovely. Uh, Urtai Wizard Adept, I've sold plenty of those this week. I think I'm, think I'm sold out around 35 or so. Uh, people figure Strixhaven plus Reserve List. Strixhaven, of course, is Wizards-focused. Uh, plus Urtai being a reserve list wizard that actually could be played in in Commander for sure. Uh, means it's worth more than it has been forever. They were like 4 or $5 a few years back. Now they're apparently a $60 card. Uh, Ring of Immortals from Legends, basically useless card, $55 to 124 on the back of reserve list targeting. Riptide Laboratory foils out of Onslaught. This is, uh, again, a Strixhaven equals Wizards thing because it lets you return Wizards to your hand. So if you have Wizards you want to bounce, and there are a bunch of those, then then the original uh, foil Riptide Laboratory is pretty sexy. 34 to 80 on those, and I would imagine that's the kind of plateau that can relatively easily be held heading into this hype cycle. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got uh, Jiraga Warcaller, both at a World Wake and Commander 2014, going from 8 to 20 on the back of Kaldheim Elves' focus. Uh, Whim of Volrath out of Tempest, going from 20 to 50, and that's up from like three, three weeks ago. Oh, yeah, uh, this was Jason. Jason mentioned these when we did the set review with mm-hmm. him, and I was like, what the hell are you talking about with this nonsense? If you're playing Orvar, and Orvar is 
one of the more popular commanders from Cal time up till now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, if we're looking at Cal time commanders, Orvar is currently in fourth. Which is not super impressive, but 145 decks so far probably means there's a couple thousand people out there building Orvar. Uh, Whim of Volrath is something you definitely want because you get to target him over and over again uh, for a relatively cheap cost. Yeah. Um, but as someone who was in on Feather Specs under similar circumstances, you definitely want to be in and out on that before the, the <laughs> hype, hype cycle passes. Uh, I've got... I, I sold some pretty pricey foils related to feather but also got caught holding some two or three dollar cards that are supposedly 20 but nobody's buying <laughs> um smokestack out of ftv annihilation foils from 14 to 37 art's really good on that uh, annihilation was much maligned when it came out people were really over the ftv thing by that point and uh they just were sitting on shelves for ages but uh i guess somebody figured out there weren't that many of the smokestacks lying around and made a move sure why not you know i actually just sold a on the topic of from the vault somebody just bought a from the vault realms for me for 200 uh it's funny you mentioned that i just pulled one of those out of my inventory today and was fondling it wondering if i was supposed to be selling it yeah so there you go just a uh, data point for you jeweled bird out of arabian nights this is not only reserve list it's also anti so <laughs> even if they canceled reserve list tomorrow they wouldn't reprint this card this is Anything related to anti is on a super reserved list. Yeah. I. It would be funny to see them do a secret layer with that. But, yeah. Yeah. And I have just... I randomly just have one of those sitting around from some collection buy. And anybody who's got those kind of... What used to be 5 to $10 cards from the first two years of Magic. <laughs> look up all the prices. Have, yeah, fun, well, have fun with that. This is the Arabian Nights copy which is going to be extremely rare. Uh, I'm sure I have a mountain of Chronicles ones. Oh, yeah. Cares about it's that crazy one. that they reprinted it in Chronicles too. Because already yeah. already by that point, Anti wasn't allowed. Yeah, that is kind of funny now that you think about it, when you think about it. Azuri Renegade Leader out of Scars of Mirrodin, 4 to 18 for your non-foil copies. Also, Keltime Elves Focus. Uh desolation angel masterpiece series invocation uh my most hated series of masterpieces but with the caveat that the black cards look best because there's zero doubt in my mind that that's true uh desolation angel is not played basically anywhere it's not really a cube card or a commander card if you cast this in commander and blow up everybody's lands you're gonna get thrown out of the game for the rest of the night so it's not about that. This is just more of this, hey, masterpieces, scarcity, go get it. Uh, so in theory, 22 to 100. And I wouldn't want to be super deep on these, but I'll talk more about it when we get to cards to watch. Scarwood Bandits, I uh, mentioned earlier, 5 to 25, just random reserve list nonsense. And then Presence of the Master is not on the reserve list, but it's a, it's pseudo-reserve list because... For a couple reasons. A, the templating on this card is ultra, ultra awkward. It says, like, when... Basically, if you if it's in play, nobody else... All further enchantments that are cast are countered. Not only is that not the way they would 
they would template that effect now. They also have no reason to ever print a card like that again. And the art has El- Albert Einstein randomly on it. So yeah. the art's never getting reused. Phil Foglio, my favorite. Yeah. Uh, it is. I mean, they, they this was in Urza Saga. Like, actually, it's it's much. It did have a more recent printing. Did it actually? Yeah. I didn't know that. It was an uncommon in Urza Saga. Whenever a player casts an enchantment, counter it. Which is not actually like that crazy of a card. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that they would print. Um, but I agree that the Legends copies are... like the, the thing is, the Legends copies here are almost actually quite tempting. Uh, although at $90, they're not. Or, I'm sorry, at $100, they're not. But at $8, it's curious because you could see Presence of the Master come back. I mean, Presence of the Master he- is in 28 decks on EDA Trek. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like that. And those could be misclicks. <laughs> I don't think it's like good, but if you were able to get the legends copies for relatively cheap, you could be like, all right, I'm going to stash these. And this is a like Albert Einstein card, right? Like this is never getting reprinted like this at all. So I've got that like pseudo reserve list angle going for me. But also if they print this into standard again or what have you, uh, like if you if we come to an, an enchantment heavy set and this is sort of their release valve type card, it would make the legends one suddenly much more uh, desirable. But I mean, I guess the ship is sailed. If the card's hundred bucks, all of this is is moot. Okay, so that brings us on over to the uh, top Magic Online movers of the week. We should probably kick that conversation off with a little discussion about what's been going on in the shorting scene uh, for Magic Online whereby people uh, borrow cards from the trading services, the, the rental services, and sell them, and then wait till the card drops and buy them back later. Specifically, there was a lot of action, I think, on Valky God of Lies this week. That card was up in the 90 ticket range or something less than a week ago, <laughs> and is currently selling for 40 tickets post the relevant bannings. So if you had a playset of those, you could have made $200 per playset. Well... That would have been nice. I guess ticket costs have been falling, so maybe a little lower. It might have been 160 or 170 because uh, I think you can only get like 80.82 US dollars per ticket or something these days. But point remains, lots of shorting going on. And the next big shorting opportunity is we're recording this on Tuesday night. Tomorrow, Wednesday, they kick off the um, Modern Horizons drafts on Magic Online which is going to crater the Modern Horizons rares for the most part. So folks are out there shorting Force of Negation and what have you, uh, which is almost certain to work out as well. Also a bunch of cards on the way up. This one is uh, particularly relevant to those drafts. Plague Engineer is up from 590 to 1261, 6.71 ticket gain, 113%, and now it's heading into a fresh draft cycle so you've got folks thinking they're going to need plague engineers more and whatever the new version of modern looks like post bans and then all of a sudden there's an influx of the card supply that's a pretty hot short if i've ever seen one uh jessica's will out of commander legends was commander legends was not uh drafted on magic online 
So it would only be available through treasure chests, I'm pretty sure. Uh, five tickets to 11 tickets on the back of EDH use exclusively. Very limited access to that card pool, uh, up 125%. Hammer Time in Modern was not touched by the bands at all and probably continues to be a very good deck. Uh, Steel Shaper's Gift from Fifth Dawn is therefore up from 9 tickets to 25 tickets, 178% gains. And then Ethereal Forager might be the Inheritor uh, card that shows up in Delver decks for Legacy uh, post Dread Horde Arcanist being banned. There are decks out there that have uh, that have a similar shell basis and are using Ethereal Forager. This is a 3-3 for 6 Elemental Whale, but it has Delve, which is key. If it didn't, it would be irrelevant for Legacy. Uh, flying, and then whenever it attacks, you can return an instant or sorcery card exiled with Ethereal Forager to its owner's hand. So whereas Dreadhorde Arcanist would swing in the attack phase and cast a spell for free, the Forager, uh, when it attacks, gets to cast spells that have been exiled via its delve process. So you're trading a 1-3 attacker for a 3-3 flying attacker, which may arguably work better as an Air Armada alongside uh, Delver of Secrets. And yeah, so... Ethereal Forager up from two tickets, roughly, to almost 10, 350% gains. Some nice action there. Ethereal Forager would be interesting to see um, in Legacy. I suppose it is not terribly surprising that a Delve card that reduces to a two-mana creature that does cool stuff it would be playable in Legacy. And this is available for a dollar in paper. Yeah. This is in the Commander 2020 card. So if, if Legacy was actually a thing right now, like if this was the year 2013, um, <laughs> and Foragers had just been released in, they would be like a true name nemesis. They'd yeah. Be going they'd be going crazy. Yeah, that is true. I view it like that. Yeah, that is true. But it's not. <laughs> we are not in the year 2013. So, well. So sadly. Too bad for Ethereal Forager. All right, on to paper cards to watch, stuff that we think might uh, be good for gains sometime in the next year or so. Uh, I'm going to start with a pretty simple one. Sylvan Tudor Judge Foil was a convention Judge Foil in 2020. It is now 2021. There may still be some copies that will float out into the market over the course of 2021 through various uh, judge conferences, quote-unquote, that they're holding online and then sending out these packs to support. But it didn't look, the judges in our Discord couldn't say for sure if this would show up in those packs. It seemed like they, they might not. At present, you can pick up copies of this in Europe around 35 all in. And shouldn't be too hard to sell them in North America in the 50 to $60 range, uh, say, within the next year or so. Judge foils that are useful in Commander just tend to get there. Because once they disappear into collections never to return especially in an era the COVID era uh i would expect even greater acceleration on key judge foils sylvan tutor is not reported on edh rec in more than i think a thousand decks but that is way underplayed versus its potential just because it's only ever had two printings it was printed in portal which was a million years ago and a lot of people never bought and this judge foil and that's it that's all the printings 
Yeah, this is... Uh, I, I would agree that the, the read on EDH is pretty accurate here. It's got a very low play rate, but the portal copies are $75, um, which is already going to be a barrier. And that assumes you know, what the, the, know that the card exists. A lot of people probably don't even know it's out there. Yep. Um, which is which is always a barrier, which is a can be a legitimate concern. Um, it doesn't matter how good a card is if people don't know it's out there. Then no one no one plays it, no one buys it. But I, I don't think that's as much of an issue here, especially with the judge promo disseminating copies. Um, you know, if we're talking about an arbitrage play, it's it's fairly straightforward. I feel like there's not a lot to say there. You know, you can buy it for twenty bucks under what it sells for in America, and the price is probably only going to go up. So. Uh, is so long as the judge distribution ch channel, you're, so long as you're timing the judge distribution channels correctly, uh, I, I like that. I like this. Um, but arbitrage is always easy to be happy with. Healthy and fair. Yeah. Um, what's your first selection of the week? I, I did a double take because I could have sworn we had talked about this card before but I can't find it anywhere this year. So uh, it's possible we talked about it like over a year ago, but um, Sir Conrad popped up on my radar. I was looking through the Turgid decks that people were playing and I saw that not only is Sir Conrad um, seen, you know, a good amount of play in uh, the Turgid, Turgid decks, Turgid decks, he is actually the second most popular monocolor card from um throne of Eldraine. uh you know you've got a, you know like two lands are more popular arcane signets from that set return of the wild speaker the only other single monocard single color card from throne of Eldraine that is more popular than sarah conrad he's in nineteen thousand, almost twenty thousand decks so quite a bit um he's an uncommon uh but that hasn't really inhibited his numbers as much as you think um you know also uh shows up in the most popular black cards overall not at the very top of the list but somewhere down in like the 20s or 30s i think um there are currently 42 vendors with foils of this but you can get them for like 225 250 um realistically you'll probably pay on average around three 250 to three bucks for them but you know, for a card that's relatively new, Throne of Eldraine is, is not old, uh, there's not that many copies of this and an uncommon to boot. Um, and you don't really hit a sell. You would, there is a guy with 100 foil copies, uh, but he's got them at 10 bucks. So if you're buying these at 250 or three bucks, I think you're gonna be pretty happy with these is probably pro probably this year. Maybe you have to wait a little bit longer. Um, but given the intensity that this card has seen so far, I wouldn't be surprised to see these are six or seven bucks this year. Yeah, those hundred copies are sourced from Europe for sure. <laughs> okay. I, because we were people were discussing this early on that it was showing good EDH rec numbers, and the counterpoint was Eldraine has a has the high foil drop rate, and for uncommons, it was the first set that had collector boosters. So tons of these came out of the collector boosters, which is why it's taken as long as it has for these to drain out on a card and get pricey on a card that is without a doubt a if it's not s tier it's still you know a tier uh edh staple i mean this is five for a five four whenever another creature dies 
or a creature card is put into a graveyard from anywhere other than the battlefield, or a creature card leaves your graveyard, Sir Conrad deals one damage to each opponent. <laughs> so basically, if anything happens, all your opponents get nugged for one. Yeah, if you play magic, your opponents take damage. And then one in a black, each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. So if nothing's going on, he can just force everyone's hand and make it, make, you know, set a clock. Card's fantastic. The foils are, it's already caught a non-foil reprint in the Zendikar Rising Commander deck. So those that's going to stifle things for a while. I like these foils as a long-term hold. If you're a turn and burn for like trying to get 50% in a week, this is not your pick. But if you want to get 20 of these and throw them in a acrylic case, make sure they don't curl too much, and then drag them out when this hits $10 plus in a year or two, sure. This will eventually get there. Yeah, I... Uh... I agree that the timeline on these is could be a touch longer than some of the other stuff that we see float through past us. But I'm always quite happy to have stuff that I get for dirt cheap that I can then get to turn around for a triple up a little further down the road. And it's nice when it's a little more reliable, I guess. Um, it's 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 a, it's a nice option for diversifying. I don't think I don't see this as a card that has any risk of being displaced. In yeah. terms of its role in EDH, either fairly unique tech bo- text box that is not likely to be overshadowed anytime soon. Okay, uh, so what's your second card? How about people are going after the masterpieces? They're also going after expeditions. I've had plenty of offers on my posted expeditions lately, all of which I've been turning down because I think that they're going to drain out and disappear, specifically the ones that didn't, especially the ones that did not show up as Zendikar Rising expeditions. That includes the Shocklands. Steam Vents expedition from Battle for Zendikar has nice art, strong art, and starting to drain out, and you can get copies in Europe in and around just under 100 bucks, like somewhere between 95 and 100 bucks. And I could see exiting on these near 150 pretty easy sometime in the next year, given how everything else is going. Currently, there are six listings left on TCG Player for a total of nine copies. Starts at 110, goes up to 138. Could easily see that ending up being 150 to 200 by the time all is said and done. Well, I mean, if the numbers... Uh, I mean, you're looking at buying from Europe again. If the numbers are lining up like that, then it's a good bet. And we have been talking about seeing more uh, excitement on these in the last couple of weeks, more so than I we had in quite some time past. Um, I noticed that some other international sellers are already over 150. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, we haven't really, we, we got those other, we're going to get steam vents again. We, we just got them and we'll get them again, but those original expeditions will still carry some weight over time. Well, and take a look at stomping ground, same set, same situation and stomping grounds starting price on TCG player across five listings is 248. Really? 248, 288, 300, 600, 857. So <laughs> people reaching for the moon Starting with Stomping Ground, but leaving Steam Vents behind? That uh, doesn't make sense to me. Wait a minute. The Expedition. So Stomping Ground, the market price on TCG Player is 85 bucks, but the low is 250 Yeah. Hmm. 
because I just found four copies for 125 bucks. So what I'm saying that, uh, but but, but but over in Europe it's even cheaper. Like I can I can throw two on my cart at 75 euro. Yeah, I mean that seems like you're supposed to buy them. $130. Eh, I feel like these probably, if they were 85 and the TCG low is 250 I think 130 is probably around where they end up. Because that still ends up almost a double up. If there are no Shocklands printed in 2021, which is still debatable, there could be a secret layer with Shocklands like Ultimate Secret Layer 3 next fall could include Shocklands, but probably non-foil. They could end up in one of the standard sets. They could reprint Shocklands again. But if they do, we'll get foil extended arts. I don't think that's going to interfere with the expedition prices. Because, again, what people need to understand is that, and we've covered this a few times, something like this just becomes a collector's item at a certain point. Where... Sure. In Innistrad, they bring back Shocklands. We get the first foil extended art version of Shocklands. They're going for 30 bucks or whatever. But the Stomping Grounds at 300 only sells one copy a month on TCG Player, but it does sell to a collector who's trying to finish the original Expedition set. Because, like, you got to remember, there's folks out there like my dad who <laughs> almost never have almost never played Constructor, but he's collected for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have a set finished, he'll buy. He doesn't care that there's a new version. He's going to buy that one too. <laughs> yeah, I I think that the extended art. Uh, no, that's not what I want. Where's my the soul ring? I think the soul ring kind of tells the story here, because oh, let me pull this number up. There are a zillion printings for this card, right? Uh, sort by high to low. There are a zillion printings of Soul Ring, so many promo copies. The but the Invention one, the cheapest copy is six hundred and seventy-five bucks right now, with a market. And the last sold copy is well over five hundred. Yeah. Uh, so like people are clear, and like there are cool versions of Soul Rings you can go buy. There is no shortage of available copies, uh, but people are still paying five and six hundred dollars for this. So like that, there is your narrative. There have been people in our Discord trying to acquire Masterpiece Soul Rings multiple times in the last couple of weeks in the face of Commander Collection Green versions. We got the new Secret Layer version. It was reprinted as a foil extended art in Commander Legends. None of that matters. That's an S-tier staple. There was a debate on Twitter today. Uh, Michael Caffrey, Kyle Lopez, myself, and a few others commenting on you know how many is too many like how Mm -hmm. often can you print this stuff and my comment was basically boiled down to it depends on what tier staple it is so we'll ring you can probably print a few a year and it's no no big deal and it's not really going to affect you know alpha beta soul ring it's not really going to affect masterpiece soul ring it's good they the newer versions probably compete with each other i would think that the commander collection green non-foil soul ring competes with the secret layer non-foil soul ring and probably the commander legends one sure but it doesn't com- but it doesn't compete with the one dollar copies and it doesn't compete with the extremely hard to find invention copy yeah those are just different versions of 
Don't people need to not get confused by it being the same card. It's about whether it's the same scarcity. And therefore a similar price point. Okay. So because some some people want something because it's the most expensive version of an item. That's true too. That's true too. Like if all of a sudden somebody like posted a Facebook post where they're like, I have seventeen thousand masterpiece soul rings. Like he had a buddy at the factory and they were printing sheets after hours and they've been sitting on them forever and they're dumb. So they're going to try to dump them all on Facebook all at once and they're going to show off a picture of them. Then the price would crash immediately once it was verified that they were quote unquote real. But those kind of situations don't happen (laughs) because that's fantasy. The reality is that those have gone into collections for the last five years and they never come out. Uh, wizards would hunt that guy down and assassinate him. <laughs> They'd be un- they would be displeased. It wouldn't even be a lawsuit. It would just be extrajudicial murder. All right, your next pick. I know we've <laughs> talked about this before, but it's probably worth revisiting. Yeah, I, I are you sure we did, we did talk about Thas's intervention? Is oh, we, that what you were thinking about? We've definitely flagged this one too. Okay. But go, but go ahead. Well, James thinks that we talked about this recently. I can't find it. Not recently. I think it was like March 2020 or something. Uh, Okay. Somewhere between March and May would be my guess is the last time it came up on cast. What is the... Wait, what was the very first episode on this sheet? Was February February 25. It was a year ago. Yeah. Well, you could... Keep in mind that could also be a... uh, It can also be a pro trader pick because that doesn't show up on our roll-ups uh well i just i just searched the sheet for all mentions of the word intervention and could not find it so maybe it was february 18th of last year and we just missed it by a year i'm talking about heliod's intervention which popped up i don't remember what i was looking for this time but the extended art foils out of throne or yeah no theros beyond death it caught my attention. It's another high popularity white card. It's in the like top 30 white cards, top 40 white cards. It's in 10,000 EDH rec decks. It is very popular within um, Theros Beyond Death in general. Uh, it is, I you know, I was flipping around some of the other Theros Beyond Death extended art rares and it seems to have a lower supply and lower price point than several other cards so like dryad of the elysian grove is um has a couple more copies but that's like 60 or 70 bucks um thassa's oracle uh same similar story now those are obviously have bigger play patterns but you know if you're looking at the supply they're kind of equal so there's still people buying a good chunk of heliad's interventions i suspect there's probably Part of that story is that people haven't dug out their Heliod's interventions in the same way they did for their Dryads and their Thassas. But the fact that this is so popular in white decks in general, um, I think is going to drive the price on this at some pretty well in the near future. There are only 18 listings for foil copies. Uh, I think two people have more, three people have more than one copy. Oh, and one of them is Japanese and also someone in our Discord, I think. So they're, you know, you're paying about 10 to 11 bucks for these right now, but 
again, there's 18 vendors. If you buy 10 copies of this at $11, the price is now like 15 or 16 on TCG player. So uh, very popular, short supply, a $10, $11 extended art foil. I think you're probably gonna be able to get 30 bucks for these this year. I agree. The, when it was first discussed, I think it was still it was around the same price. It might have gotten down to I have to double check, but it might have been as low as seven or eight bucks at one point. And it's edged up over time as the commander community has bitten off pieces, and speculators are certainly holding a bunch for sure. The thing about this card is, art is gorgeous. Like I own, I have some in inventory, waiting for the day where they get there, and. This is one of the better foil extended arts because uh, Heliod's like light rays or whatever that are shooting off from the middle of the card look awesome in foil. Yes. Okay. Now, if you're, now if you're double sleeving commander cards, <laughs> yeah, it, it's always, it's only going to look good for the two seconds while you resleeve it, but you know it's still fancy. The, it would have seemed that the earliest price data for this card is March nineteenth of last year. So unless this is lurking somewhere in this spreadsheet, spelled incorrectly on both words, this has not been a pick. Okay. If you say so. It, it could have been flagged in the Discord as well because it could show up in best ideas or it could have just been a discussion point at some point. Given how much, how many cards get talked about in that Discord on, you know, even a daily basis that over the course of a year, I totally believe you would start to like, wait, didn't we talk about this? Oh, this was some other conversation that we had or what have you. And it all starts to blur together, right? I found it. March 5th, 2020. And best ideas. I call out hot spec Helios intervention. EA is currently the hottest selling extended art on TCG player with relatively shallow inventory and a strong ramps forming for both foils and non foils. Foils near 10 target 18 to 20 within a year, and non-foils near 3 aim to buy less closer to 5. Seem like very safe pickups on this top 10 EDH card from Theros Beyond Death. Yeah. I mean, all that's still pretty much correct. I mean, I guess the, the situation hasn't changed it's just gotten, too much. Anyone who gets in now is is doing better because they're waiting less time. Right. So, right. so that clearly, clearly there's no debate from my end. <laughs> it was it was a good pick a year ago and it's still a good pick today damn it my next one is mythos of nethroy foil extended art uh the kill spell out of ikoria the is showing up showed up in 10 percent of all abzan decks on edh rec since printing for a total of 2500 decks which probably means you got something like 10 or twenty thousand people in the world that might be interested in playing the card foil extended arts are currently around five bucks the uh, inventory is not super deep. I would guess it needs another uh, six or twelve months to hollow out, and these will be fifteen dollars. Very similar kind of situation to Helios Intervention. Not quite as impressive as a play pattern, but I have every confidence that it'll get there given enough time. I have looked up these Mythos cards probably at least three times over the last two years or whatever, and the fact that they're the three colors is always what scares me off a little bit. Um, I think I was in the boat of planning on going after them a little further down the road when the inventory had drained out a little bit harder since I knew that just by virtue of the number of decks it's allowed in, it would be a lighter touch. Um, 
but even still, I don't I don't dislike it at all. I think getting this stuff early while you're thinking about it, while supply is heavy, prices are low, can't hurt. Um, and if you end up waiting a little longer, that's totally fine because it's still going to be a popular card that people are going to go back to. That's I don't know when you would ever see another reprinting of this card that looks like this ever again. So you'll it's, get there eventually. It's going to be a long time to until they reprint this card. It's one of those ones that may never get reprinted because it references a very specific character on a specific plane. Yeah. And it requires three colors. And it's a removal spell. And it's a medium quality removal spell. So it doesn't need... There's, there's no strong impetus to print this specific card when they can reprint any number of different things. Abrupt Decay, Maelstrom Pulse, whatever. Right. And achieve whatever objective they have to make sure that removal shows up in a specific set. Um, now, that's also one of the points against the spec because removal spells a dime a dozen. So you're going to see a better play pattern on Heliod's Intervention overall than you are going to on Mytho- Mythos of Nethroi. I just know that buy list on these is going to end up being getting you there later, not sooner, but it'll get you there. Uh, Mythos of Nethroi currently being offered at two, covered at $2 and two sixty credit by Card Kingdom. So if you're picking up three fifty to four dollar copies, you're at least half covered so far. If I had to pick the card that is is going to accelerate fastest out of this and Helios intervention, I think intervention is better placed. It's an older card with a better play pattern. Okay, uh, yeah, they're both they're both roughly the same ballpark and like what you're trying to do with them. I I do like I I tend to definitely. Um, n- uh, gravitate towards monocolor cards when I'm looking at EDH stuff strictly because of the, it just allows for a wider play pattern, but that doesn't mean you can't have very expensive two and three and four color cards. You've got another one in the chamber here this week. You're busy. So back when we were looking at top paper movers, we flagged desolation angel going from 22 to hundred in theory a card that we admitted no one is really playing and can only really be viewed as a collectible in the sense of being part of the Invocation series of Masterpiece cards um, from the Amit Ket block. Well, what if I told you you can still pick those, snap those off in Europe around 25 bucks? If you don't believe it's a $100 card, you can probably believe it's at least a $50 card. You can certainly believe that if you bought them in Europe and got them here fast enough and listed a copy 20 or 30 bucks below the other copies listed on TCG Player, you're probably going to be able to sell it. Now, I would warn you that there are might be people ahead of you doing that because somebody cleaned up the copies on TCG Player. They may have done that in anticipation of their additional inventory showing up and hoping to uh, sell into any hype around, oh my gosh, invocations are drying up. All of that should be considered... I wouldn't go super deep on this because I don't. There's no play pattern on the card, which isn't something that gets me very hot and bothered. But I could see going in for a couple of copies from Europe, test the water, see if it sells, and if it sells and the curve doesn't drop, if it holds the plateau, and you manage to get whatever sixty bucks out of it, go ahead and order a few more copies in Europe and repeat until that's no longer an option. Yeah, this is a. Uh, 
I don't hate this. I, I would tempt the water with two to three copies, probably at 25 bucks if I was putting in an order over in Europe. And like not many people are playing it, but that's fine because the floor on this is probably going to come up a little bit. And people will, like you're buying this with the hope to that you can get paid today. But even if you kind of miss, you know that you'll probably get there eventually. Like, maybe it'll take three more years, but, like, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I don't get to sell it today because I missed the boat. You know, prices came down too quick or whatever. But three years from now, people will be going after Amonkhet Invocations again, and I'll be in a good position at that time. Also say that Desolation Angel is one of the cur- those one of many invocations that has some of the best art Magic's ever had. It, it does look very cool. Like, I wish, it, I wish they had full art versions sideways like landscape not portrait of a lot of the cards that uh from that series because truly some of the best art um that we've seen mm-hmm. uh all right so our pro trader selection of the week is one i think is solid i don't know if we're if this is the moment very similarly to the Vorinclexes, it's unclear if this is the moment for this card or if you're supposed to wait for inventory to fill in but if you believe my arguments about how Kaldheim might, ex- the key cards from Kaldheim might accelerate faster because it's not being cracked very heavily and nobody's really buying it. At least, and when I say that, be clear. I'm not saying no one's buying it. I'm saying sales might be down to 14% <laughs> versus expectation or something. Uh, regardless, if you get in now, you get in later. Essica, God of the Tree, showcase version think you're probably going to have trouble going wrong with that not only is it the top commander from the set so far but it's also one of the top cards in the 99 uh certainly in the top 20 and the only thing holding it back is that it's a five color card similar to the world tree but in the world of five color decks moving forward this will be an auto include in almost every version on the one side of this card you have a legendary creature god one and two green for a one four that taps for a man of any color and has vigilance and gives all your other legendary creatures the same ability. And if you play it as the prismatic bridge, you basically get to cast spells for free off the top of your library for the rest of the game. Okay. Showcase version of the card looks real nice and a lot better than the regular. The regular art is very like my little pony cartoony. Doesn't really do much for me. The showcase version of the art, much nicer. And you can pick these, snap these off in Europe around $24, whereas they're already something like 40 plus on TCG Player. And looks like you're going to be well positioned to import those and then sell into a relatively shallow inventory profile. Like, there's eight listings for this showcase mythic currently on TCG Player. Eight. Sets less than two weeks old. Starts at 35, goes to 40 in a hurry, and then you get the highest priced copy at 70 by the usual suspects. Do you think that that's partly because people, inventory just isn't in people's hands yet? No, I think it's because people are not cracking it. I, I think that the EV is bad enough on Caltime and Caltime collector boosters that the big players are not motivated to crack and crack and crack and crack. Because it's basically a Vora and Klex lottery chase. And that's only going to 
contribute to EV at a relatively minor overall level. And you got to be opening a lot of boxes to find enough Vorinclexes to even come close to justifying that action. And you got to hope that Vorinclex keeps charging. Like if Vorinclex ends up $1,000, the math does change some. But at 300 it's not there yet. Yeah. I, um, I, I, oh man, these five color cards scare me, but the fact that it will be played in every single, like probably a lot of five color decks, a lot of five color decks definitely helps. Paint 25. Uh, let, let me lay out that Golos Tireless Pilgrim Foil Rares from Core Set 2020. The first set with the, the high foil drop rate. Because it came out right after War of the Spark. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, currently at $27. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a rare. Asik is a mythic. Showcase. And arguably is going to go in every Gilda's deck. And vice versa. The fact that it's... The fact that Golos exists definitely improves the outlook. And Golos is the Golos is a top five commander. Golos oh, yeah, is is number one in the past two years. Two years, yeah, he's really popular. And number one in the past month. How many? I wonder how many Golos decks are going to play Prismatic Bridge. Lots. They they complement each other. Do they? Yeah, because well, Eska lets Golos tap for mana. That's that's uh, th- that's a loose definition of compliments, I think. I mean, it's a minor synergy, but it still it still exists. It's there's, there's not I'll put it this way: there's no counter synergy between the two. There's no, no non-bows. No, no, but it, it, there that's not true. You're you're right that that's not the case. Um, I'm just kind of looking at it like, well, go, you know, you're not. I mean, Prismatic Bridge is is pretty generic. It's just you get a creature or a Planeswalker every turn for free. Like, you're probably not going to be upset about that. But that's kind of like what you're doing with Golos anyway. Like, Golos, for seven mana, you're exiling the top three cards of your library. You play one of them without paying their mana cost. So you're adding whatever craziness you were trying to get into play, like Omniscience or whatever with that. You're just as, just as likely to hit with the bridge. Although Omniscience is a bad example, right? Because she can only hit creatures or Planeswalkers. Planeswalkers. Right. Not enchantments. But if your Golos deck is looking to pull a bunch of big creatures or planeswalkers into play, like an Ugin or a Eldrazi or whatever, then both cards are effective at doing so. Well, you know, I look at this and I think of, like, if I look at the world tree, the card, the world tree, the land. Yep. That's a five color, a five color land. And that I see being in every five color deck, basically. Like, like, it enters the battlefield tap, then it only taps for a green, which is obnoxious. But once you have six lands, it's chromatic land. Or, like, that seems like it's going to be very popular for most five-color builds because it just fixes your mana entirely. I see that being very pervasive in five-color decks because what five-color deck doesn't want their lands fixed? Askia, Asuka, uh, you know, God of the Tree and the Prismatic Bridge, a little less so. Like, it's, I, I'm pretty sure you can brew five-color decks that aren't that interested in this effect and it's like it's fine and edh is always a problem where you're cutting cards to get to 99 because there's so much cool stuff you can do which is exacerbated in a five color build because you have 
every magic card that's legal at EDH is available to you. And it's like, well, okay, I have to narrow this down to only 98 good cards, 99 good cards. Um, so I do think it'll be popular. The fact that we're talking Mythic, Foil, Showcase, 25 bucks, that's, that, that is tempting. Like, that's a good price point. You know, if it was $40, I'd be blanching a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I don't have a, a strong takeaway here. You're probably, if you're buying these at 24 bucks in Europe, you're not, I don't think you're going to get punished. But I am just mild reservation. I mean, we're, but you got to admit, this is a unprecedented to see eight listings, 10 listings, six listings between these top cards in Kaldheim while people are complaining about the EV of the set. <sighs> people got to understand the relationship between those two things. If you have chase cards in an underopen set, they only become more chase. Well, yeah, I mean that's what happened with uh, Voice of Resurgence. For anyone who's around back then, is Dragon's Maze was uh, Voice of Resurgence, the Blood Baron of Viscopa. Is that was that well, the name well, of that's that a, card? Yeah, and, yeah, nothing, yeah. and nothing else, and nothing else, and so Voice was forty dollars. But that's a different thing. You're talking about the flow of EV into the the chase card of the set when everything else is low what i'm saying is when the ev is bad vendors stop opening product and so the chase cards which would have been present which which actually exist in a much higher quantity a, a portion of that quantity is locked away from the market not just in collections which happens normally anyway and i'm you know one of the things i think people discuss too little in collectibles is how it's the inefficiency of collecting collections not circulating in the market that leads to most price changes but anyway separate issue the the point i'm making is that if say 30 percent of the sealed product for cal time is sitting in warehouses one of the things people need to understand is that wizards destroys product that doesn't sell I was just talking to a vendor the other day in Europe that was talking about a country in Europe where they had just destroyed a whole bunch of Modern Horizons because it mm-hmm. didn't didn't sell fast enough. And I was like, well, that sucks because we could totally have run that uh, group buy on that group, that huge, like four pallets of product or whatever. But they couldn't get their shit together because apparently like the Wizards representatives in Europe, like barely, you know, take calls or answer emails in a timely Mm. fashion so stuff product is literally incinerated if it doesn't sell after a certain period of time so that it doesn't get clog up the distribution network and to maintain the appearance of scarcity the last thing wizards wants is a homelands or ice age situation and for those of you that weren't around in the mid late 90s we went from very conservative print runs to extreme print runs in a hurry it outpaced the demand in the market, and you ended up with Fallen Empires cases just sitting around for, what, 20 years? <laughs> yeah. And now, and now all of a sudden they're worth a bajillion dollars for no reason, but... Um, so, so my point is that if Caltime, if that's true, if Caltime is under-opened, then there are even less of Phyrexian Vorenklex, Showcase, Essica, whatever, than was originally intended. Yes, I mean all of that is true. Uh, and compa- compared to something like the foil 
Um, there was one foil mythic showcase in Throne of Eldraine. It was the giant. Uh, Realm, Realm Cloaked Giant. Realm Cloaked Giant. I have yeah, a bunch of those. That's the one. So Realm Cloaked Giant Showcase current currently has 24 listings starting at $13. For the foil showcases? Yeah. Oh, I think I am up on those. So, well, because giants were in Caldheim, right? So people probably snapped some of those off. Mm. Um, but Essica has less listings and is 18 months <laughs> younger than those cards. Has three times less li- li- listings. They're both both foil showcase mythics. Yeah. I... Oh, what do you want me to tell you here? I think that it's uh, it, it is it's tempting. I'm not. I, my problem stems from it being a five color card that doesn't seem like it's going to be a windmill slam in all five color decks. Realistically, though, I guess it doesn't matter. Even if only ten percent of five color decks want to play it, if the inventory is going to end up this slow, then who cares? Like you'll. If, still, the, if there's fifteen copies of from TCG fine. player, we're not talking about whether one percent of commander players want to play it or even twenty percent of, of five color commanders. We're talking about whether a small village circa like 6000 bc with seven adults and three goats cares to play the card well that's a relevant frame of reference here (laughs) all right so moving on to uh topic of the week uh beyond the the massive banhammer that was swung um and certainly we'll be very interested to get back to looking at what pioneer and modern lists look like next week uh that should be a very interesting discussion but Magic has been a like just a ship full of holes, a leaky, leaky marketing vehicle for years now, and nothing's changed. And this week we had a couple of different leaks that were going around. One was packaging pictures for Innistrad, which is next year's fall set. And it looked like they must have leaked from Asia because it was Japanese versions of the packaging. My understanding is we're getting two Innistrad sets in the fall, Innistrad Vampires and Innistrad Werewolves that are being released more or less back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken. And this packaging seems to show a few interesting tidbits. Uh, You can see Teferi on the packaging, so presumably you're getting a new Teferi card. (laughs) I'm sure everybody's so excited for another busted Teferi. Well, they managed to get one. They managed to print 19 copies of the one that's not good. The thing is, that card is good. I just, I don't, I mean, especially in EDH. I've, I've played it in Commander games where it was absolutely dominant. So un, unclear to me why it hasn't, hasn't uh, had a higher penetration rate than it has. Um, but it hasn't really shown up in Constructed, which I think is part of the, the crafting of that narrative. There is... Very clearly, Renin 6 is going to be in the set, and given the way that the the product seems to be structured, I would guess you're getting a pretty badass Renin 6. They're definitely trying to make that, make Ren a, a central figure here. We see her in both the art for the set booster and the collector booster pretty prominently. Well, and maybe maybe it'll be Renin 7. Because six is the name of her symbiote, which is just a numbering order. Right. So it'd be really cute if this version is run in seven. 
Yeah, yeah. Could be. Or Renan 8. Oh, man, what happened to 7? <laughs> yeah. Ah, it didn't work out. Yeah. We're just... Rot. Yeah. Uh, there's also a very Oko-esque looking vampire. At first I thought it was Oko, but now that I see the ears being very... I don't know. They're pointy. They're they're elfish almost. It yeah. It, Oko's an elf too. Is is it an Oko vampire or just another vampire with his shirt off that's set up in the Oko tradition of so, being shirtless? On go, I, Innistrad seems like a cold plane. I, I'm trying, to, but I guess the vampires don't care. The problem is it's hard. Like you, you can't even really compare the art and decide if that looks like Oko or not because he's just. I mean, the art for Oko is that he's basically just a a, a handsome, mildly Asian-looking dude without a shirt. Like, like Ren is obviously a very distinctive design, but Oko was not. And if you look at the legacy of Nissa artwork, she has had so many different variants of her face and body structure that, like, there's no way that you can look at this character and know if that's Oko or not. Not that there's any, not that it really matters one or the other, actually, but, you know, since we're here talking about it. So one of the other clues here is one of the the images is of the collector booster packaging. And the imagery on the front of the collector booster box is very Dayglow 90s neon. Very similar to what we expected might be coming for uh, Kamigawa Neon Destiny or whatever. Well... So, it's got me wondering whether that is representative I read that of, a little, of, of the showcase style. I read that a little differently. Um, I read so it, it's a it's it's a very um, I don't want to say anime because it doesn't scream anime, but it's like more like comic book art style in contrast to but like indie comic book like watercolor hypersaturated yeah. but it, it 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 is reminiscent of um panels of anime that i have seen before like a kind of like this older animation style so i i'm wondering if we're going to get a showcase style that is i don't know looks like kind of like japanese comic books like older japanese comic books not not anime anime but like I don't know. It is it is a distinct style for sure, much different than what magic usually looks like, which is you know, CGI ish. My thinking is that with Kaldheim, a lot of the the early art that was out there and the promos they were doing very much aligned with what we ended up getting on the showcases. So I could easily believe that this is the art style that will define the showcases for Innistrad. Someone's going to post reference material of what this reminds them of, and I'm going to go, oh, that's it. That's what I was thinking of, but I'm just having trouble putting a pin on it. Hmm, fair enough. Anyway, there's uh, some major characters, Ren and Sixth, Fairy. Maybe that's Arlen Cord. I'm not sure. Yeah, a bunch of werewolves. Uh, Badass-looking werewolves and vampires, as expected. Yeah. Now, the other piece was also information that was more or less expected. It was somewhere out of Europe, this quote leaks about you know, what Strixhaven's all about. And in, and the quote goes as follows. Welcome to Strixhaven, school of mages. Here you will study magic under one of the five colleges. Silverquill, Lorehold, Prismari, Witherbloom, and Quandrix. Each dorm represents one of magic's two color combinations, each with their own personality and mechanics. 
Learn from the best professors and explore Strixhaven's huge library. I'm very curious whether we are getting a new mechanic in this set. Like something big. Because uh, Marrow was out there with a tweet last week, something about Strixhaven is one of the, like, maybe the at least equal to the proudest I've ever been of any set I've ever worked on. Really? Or something like, yeah. So I was like, I was like, are we getting like a planeswalker level mechanic? Something new that they can break? <laughs> so, it's even worse than companions and planeswalkers that have ridiculous abilities at three mana. It's this other thing that here you go. Anyway, we'll see how that unfolds. I, I the, did notice he was running damage control and trying to say that the concept of the wizard school and the and the houses within wizard schools is a old trope that is not just ripped off from Harry Potter. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> you can't say that with a straight face and then say Silver Quill, Lorehold, Prismari, Witherbloom, and Quandrix. That's literally like you put some marketing interns in a room and said okay it's uh harry potter but it can't actually be harry potter so i need five i need you to sit here until you've got five new schools of, of magic okay and then we're, they're gonna pull them out of a tea kettle not a hat yeah i yeah yeah like i they don't i don't know how you would possibly name schools in a magic it's a magic university, and there's five different... Not a university, a school of mages, implying young, younger, not, you know, not college students. Uh, so that sets a tone for it. I don't know how you would name the sort of houses of that school without it sounding Harry Potter-ish. Like, I don't know how you could possibly draw that distinction. I would actually argue that the cultural pollution of Harry Potter is so high, especially amongst people that work at Wizards of the Coast as a career, that it was likely nearly impossible for them to separate one from the other. And that even if they were trying consciously to steer away from that, subconsciously, they had trouble. And were like, to me, this like, just think of it from this perspective. You have the different factions inside the Harry Potter school. You don't have to have factions on well, Strixhaven, but the way that, but they gravitated towards that subconsciously and automatically probably because as much as they say, Oh yeah, this is like part of a greater, you know, theme in fantasy literature. Come the fuck on. Like you all read these books start to finish. They're embedded in your brain, like little brain worms and so we're ending up with Witherbloom and Quandrix and shit that absolutely could have been stuff that What's-Her-Face wrote. Well, okay, so I have a couple of thoughts. One is uh, they'd be like, well, the wizard school trope existed long before Harry Potter. And be like, yeah, and the swastika was used by Hindus before the Nazis <laughs> showed up. But yeah. guess what? That still carries a lot of different meaning today for most, at least the Western world, than what you want it to. So it sure. doesn't matter if your trope predated Harry Potter. Harry Potter took it over. It doesn't matter that she stole everything from schools of magic. Right. But. Second... Uh, I he I saw him comment about how the wizard school trope predates Harry Potter, and I'm like, I will give you that that's true. Like, I'm not going to argue with you that. Sure, uh, I'll accept that. Do they have houses? 
Was it divided into separate houses like this? Because that feels a little yeah. more specific. Yeah. Uh, and That's what I'm I, saying. And I, I, so this is this is a little tricky because I I totally get what you're saying about the the sort of cultural pollution, which I think is a really good term of Harry Potter, and not just at Wizards. I think it's you know, pervasive across all most millennials, um, at least in the Western world. Yeah, but I don't know how you would have. You know, if you're in magic, they're always separating things into clans and factions and, uh, you know, whatever, because of the way that the mana system works. It, it wants them to split them up, right? Like virtually every set has these divisions. So in a universe where Harry Potter doesn't exist, they still have to find a way to draw a distinction between the, whether they do wedges or, wedges or shards or allies or enemies, like that's going to exist. And it kind of makes sense in a school to do houses. Um, so like if you're giving them the most benefit of the doubt, it's you still end up in a situation where they probably stumble upon redesigning essentially that concept again. Um, and as per the naming convention, I guess I I read like two Harry Potter books and saw I don't know one or two of the movies. I'm not really in the Harry Potter. And I even if I, I my point was I think you could find someone who didn't engage in any Harry Potter culture, teach them magic, then tell them to name the schools in this wizard school, and I think they're still going to come up with names that sound like they would fit in Harry Potter. That would be my expectation but regardless uh, all this set aside it's sure as hell gonna feel like harry potter whether they want it to or not it's gonna be really tough no matter how cool the set is for this not to seem culturally derivative yeah yeah and and in in, in the same way that the super friend like that the gate oath of the gate watch was absolutely the avengers mm mm-hmm and there's just no, I don't care what you tell me. Like, I know that that's the zeitgeist moment you were trying to tap into. And <laughs> whatever excuse you make otherwise isn't going to convince me to the contrary. Yeah, it's called retconning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, it's just, I, I think that it is part and parcel with why after 30 years, Magic IP has not jumped into the public consciousness. Because it's not actually that strong. A lot of it's very derivative. And they've let themselves get trapped in trying to ride those cultural waves instead of in the, in the absence of a strong visionary presence, or at least in the absence of a strong visionary presence that has been able to advance their agenda. Because no one, like Jace the Mind Sculptor, I guess, is the most famous planeswalker in the modern era. Maybe Urza is from the original the first 15 years and nobody outside magic knows those characters at all because they've both skipped opportunities to do something about it. And I also just don't think the IP is particularly compelling in, in a, in a way that justifies chasing the dream of a ton of great video games. You know, this new Diablo clone that's coming out, nobody seems to be too excited about because it is again, basically just taking somebody else's, you know, genre and then slapping your stuff over it without really going the extra mile to make your own mark. Yeah. I, um, it is interesting that they seem to have no cultural cachet of their own, despite being like one of the longest existing 
you know, media sources, essentially narratives, plot lines, whatever for in in game gaming history. That's it's that's odd. But, I mean, get, I, let, let's get that let's get that Netflix anime series and it and let it be good, and we'll see. But my my guess is that in the same way that most people outside the anime scene wouldn't even though it's right in front of them won't watch and won't know anything about name a top five anime that's currently on netflix your parents haven't watched it they never will and they're not going to be able to name the main character and i think that's still going to be the case when you put magic on netflix as well yeah yeah and um they're not they're never going to have that disney level ip success no this this doesn't fit well yeah not unless they hire somebody successful to make a good movie and stand it on its own two legs and even then that seems like remote possibility at this point um well they have they have avengers producers working on this anime yeah yeah yeah. in 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 theory the pro the the (laughs) the whether it ever gets to market or not is a different story yeah and i think the problem there is the word anime like Part of the reason why Avenger, the whole Avengers and Marvel Cinematic Universe did so well is it was stuff that normal people could go watch. As soon as it's an anime, it's a lot harder for your 55-year-old grandpa to pull it up on Netflix and watch it. He'll watch Captain America and Chris Evans. He ain't watching anime, Jace. Go, Nani? Like, forget it. Um it, and I, I, as for Strixhaven, I think it does, you're right. This is going to feel more derivative than anything, more derivative than anything else they've done. Like the the Godzilla cards were like amusing, but distasteful in what they represented for the future. The Walking Dead cards were upsetting in many ways that don't need rehashing, but they were still isolated incidents in that they were like you know the secret layers or essentially. Or the promo cards for Godzilla, so it, they just didn't feel quite as inclu- integrated into the magic universe. But Strixhaven is like, no, this is like tier S canon now, and but it feels like it's all ripped off of Harry Potter, whether they wanted it to be or not. So, I guess the most relevant thing for pre-planning from a specula- speculation perspective is definitely this is a set about wizards, so wizardsy stuff is has been worth a look and people have already been trading action on that and there will be some more opportunities as we get closer and then the fact that they're two color colleges not single color certainly matters because it it we are also going to get the annual commander decks with the pile of new cards and they will be strixhaven themed they will be two color commanders probably so that that seems like relevant intel yeah yeah we'll get some some rough direction there all right we should wrap up uh where can our listeners find you you guys can find me on twitter at mdg critic as well as (laughs) via my constant haunting of the pro trader discord what about you travis Hmm. after i finish my water i am on twitter at wizard bump and b-u-m-p-i-n also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. 
playing Magic the Gathering. We had, did you like that uh, single sale last week with the cards that were just priced below buy list? That was appealing. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly works out pretty well. It's funny how free money is is amenable to the pro traders. Yeah, people enjoy that. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode 259. Next week, 260, our full five years. It would be... I wanted to have reviewed all the technical aspects going into this so we could confidently say that we were going to do a live broadcast next week, but time got away from me. But I think that's our goal right now, right? We're going to do something. Something. Tune in. Something. We'll Keep promote it, it on Twitter for the most part, probably. Yeah, as I say, we'll have to like we'll have to make a point to like broadcast this on Twitter so that people know ahead of time because we can't just like start tweeting. Yeah. When we go live, that we're doing it. So yeah. if you're listening to this, try and keep an eye out to the Twitter. That's what we're going to shoot for. And if not that, we'll figure something else out. All right. Thank you, Chavis. We'll see you all next week on the fifth year anniversary episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank you.